Good morning. Um, today's passage comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 to 26. Please follow along on the screen or with your own Bible or simply listen. Now he had, now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth The woman said I know that Messiah called Christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us Then Jesus declared I the one speaking to you I am he this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I, um, I am so happy to be here this morning. I actually went to college in Massachusetts, as did my husband. And so whenever we have a chance to come back, we're reminded about how old we are. Um, but good morning to High Rock Brookline and to Mars Hill Fellowship. I bring you greetings from New York Covenant Church, which is in New Rochelle, New York. And it's an honor, really, to have the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. I, I absolutely love, I want to say I love what you are doing in Brookline with this summer series, Summer Together. 
I love it, um, and I'm going to talk about it a little today. And so I want to thank Pastor Josh, who I know is not here, Pastor Joseph, and Pastor Yumi for extending the pulpit to me this morning. And you know, I realize for some of you that when you heard the scripture reading this morning, you thought to yourself, well, that sounds a little familiar. <laughs> so if you were here last week, so I'm outing you if you were not, but if you were here last week, you would know uh, that Pastor Joseph preached on some of this last week. And so when I reached out to Pastor Yumi and told her uh, Tuesday that my scripture was from John 4, she told me, you heard about the Samaritan woman last week. So I thought, and I prayed, and I asked, well, what did Pastor Joseph preach about? And she told me, and I reflected, and as I reflected, I said, oh, wow, look at God go. Because today, we are going to do a deep dive into the Samaritan woman, and I am going to show you, right in the scripture, how God is showing us how to lay down our own entrenched tribal cultural hang-ups and even customs so that we can do exactly what Pastor Joseph told us we need to do last week, and that is to worship God in Come on now, in spirit and in, so you know in my church back in New York, in my context, we have something called response and call. So sometimes I'm just going to say it out there, and then sometimes I'm going to say, and so what did I say? So last week, he, he told you we worship God in, yeah. amen, amen. And really, church, you, my friends, are doing that right here in Brookline. You're doing that. You're, you're, you're worshiping together, which is what we're talking about. So maybe the word this morning for you will encourage you, motivate you, rejuvenate you when the road of crossing barriers gets rough. Because I know it gets rough. We can say sometimes it gets rough. But God never leaves us without guidance. He never leaves us without hope. And really, when we listen to him, he never leaves us without direction. And so this morning, church, I hope as we walk and talk and read and learn about the Samaritan woman, we reflect on ourselves and question ourselves about how we are crossing barriers and breaking down walls. So let's get right into the word. We are in John 4, and we're reading about the Samaritan woman who Jesus meets at the well. And it's commonly known as the woman at the well. And I just want to set the context before we jump in. Some interpretations of this text simply speak about the Samaritan woman as a sinner who had five husbands and was living with a six. So you will see some commentaries and stories about this text, which oversimplify, oversimplify it to a story about Jesus talking to a woman who is a sinner. That interpretation serves more of a patriarchal narrative, but we know that Jesus came to break barriers and cultural norms and turn everything upside down. So that explanation for me is just a bit too simple. Instead, I believe that the right framework then when looking at this text is to understand that this woman at the well is purposely placed between the Pharisee Nicodemus 
and in John 3, who has religious power, and the royal official in John 4, who has political power. Religious power and political power are both things and structures the Bible teaches us. And if I'm honest here this morning, current times are teaching us that can and many times work against the will of God, right? I said religious power and political structures can and many times do work against the will of God. You see, in John 3, we see Nicodemus get into a theological debate with Jesus about the Son of God. And in John 4, we see the royal official who needed signs and wonders to believe in the power of Christ. But in between these two men, we see this Samaritan woman. She comes to believe the power of Christ through her own sophisticated theological exchange where Jesus and the Samaritan woman go back and forth about customs and traditions of worships of Jews and Samaritans. See, I think this exchange is important. And I think when we read the text, we must keep its placement in mind. Because in the end, we see the Lord and the Samaritan woman, the one with no political power and the one with no religious power, arrive at the place the Lord already knew they were going to get to. You see, it doesn't matter whether you are a Samaritan or a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you are rich or poor. It doesn't matter whether you are a woman or a man. It doesn't matter whether you're Asian American, African American, Caribbean, African, whether you are from the deep south or a Yankee north. The flyover red states are the coastal blue states. It doesn't matter. In the end, in all these narratives, Jesus is teaching us that there is a true place of worship that surpasses the temple and the mountain and teaches us it's available to us all. So let's again look at the scripture with what I've just said in mind. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to your Bibles or you can just listen along because I'm going to read it. John 4, chapter, John 4, chapter 4, verse 4 starts like this. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So let's just start there from the beginning. We learn here that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, as Pastor Joseph mentioned last week, a Jew going through Samaria is a big deal. Samaria and Israel had two very distinct cultures. So like he says, it is like you Red Sox fans asking us Yankees fans, and yes, I am born and bred in New York. It is like you asking me for some water on a hot, steamy day in the middle of the Bronx at Yankee Stadium with a Red Sox hat on. 
That's what it would be like. So here is Jesus going through Samaria, and it is a really big deal. And according to many scholars, Jews did not have to cross through Samaria. They would just bypass it. But this is Jesus. This is our radical Jesus. And so he goes right into Samaria. He intentionally becomes a foreigner in a new land. And here in Samaria, when he talks to the woman at the well, well, he only gets more radical. Verse 7 says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Can you imagine that? A man asking in those times a woman for a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. It was Jesus who started this conversation. When he asked this woman for a drink, he is boldly refusing to be boxed in to any Jewish stereotype of who talks to who. He's breaking all kinds of radical and cultural barriers with just that one question. His actions broke the stereotype. His actions said everything. And it was Jesus' actions, actually, that allowed room for this woman, this woman at the well to hear the gospel and to learn about worship and ultimately share the gospel. There is not one day that goes by where I don't see some inspirational word on some social media platform about loving each other a photo about how we should behave towards each other, some timely quote from Dr. King about what character should mean. And yes, words matter. The words we say to each other matter very much. But our actions speak so much louder. And so we see Jesus in this text with action. And the disciples are sort of dumbfounded at the radical action of Jesus. When they return and see Jesus talking to the woman in verse 27, they say, it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Jesus is all out of order, right? He's radical. You can imagine people saying, what's he doing? Why is he talking to her? Does he know who he's talking to? Does he know she's got all those husbands? We do that. This is no different than some of the divisions we see today. I talked about them earlier. We've got blue states and red states. We have the religious right and the mainstream Protestants. We have ethnic differences that divide us. We have black, Latino, white, Asian. We have so many ways we slice and dice ourselves up. But where did we get that from? Where did we learn that it is okay for us to live separately and even to worship separately? We didn't learn it from God's word. When the Samaritan woman in verse 9 says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus 
doesn't defend Jewish bigotry, nor does he explain it. He just continues to engage with the woman at the well. His actions were speaking louder than his word. You know, sometimes God is waiting for us to act. Sometimes before we can get to the message he's trying to give us, we have to act. Surely this Samaritan woman did not know in the end that she was going to become a light to share the gift of God in Christ. And you know, God many times picks the most unlikely people to do the most wonderful work of Christ. This notion that the smartest, the swift, richest are blessed and can do more for Christ and are better at serving Christ, that's not a Jesus notion. This woman, a Samaritan, comes in the middle of the day to the well. She drags her bucket in the middle of the day. We read that people, scholars believe that she did this because a woman with five husbands, five former husbands, would be alienated from her community. What is clear to me in this text is that God comes for us all. No matter what we've done or who we are or how we have lived, he's coming for us all. And sometimes as we get into our little tribes, because if nothing else in this country right now, I have learned so much about our tribes. As we get into our little, little tribes, we forget that God speaks to all of us. And Christ's love knows no boundaries. And this love is not a passive love. This love from Christ, this relationship with Christ, must push us to act. We must act. We have to participate. And that's ultimately what the Samaritan woman did. In the end, she participated. As a parent, we try to look out for our kids' best interests, right? We try to be a step ahead of them. And, and we could say the same thing if we have elderly parents or nieces. We, we try to be a step ahead of them and what they will need to be successful, have a good, God-filled life. So we give them advice along the way. And sometimes the simplest advice, such as, make sure you have gas when you are driving that long distance, or in the younger kid's case, right? Put your homework in your backpack tonight so you don't forget it in the morning. Little stuff. Sometimes the little stuff falls on deaf ears. And we find ourselves, our, I find myself telling our, my kids the same thing over and over and over again. And you wonder, do they hear me? You know? So at some point, you turn to natural consequences. And you allow the action to be the lesson. You allow them to run out of gas on their way somewhere. Well, it probably won't happen again. Because actions speak louder than words. And, and you allow them... I've done this. You allow them to leave their homework right there on the kitchen table and go to school. It doesn't happen much anymore because actions speak louder than words. 
And as parents and friends, it pains us sometimes. It pains us to see people we love do things that put them, you know, at a disadvantage. But we know actions speak louder than words. And so we see our Lord Jesus acting. And church, we can talk and talk and talk until we are blue in the face. We can talk and talk about unity. We can talk about being a ministry of reconciliation. We can talk about the communion table as a place where we all come together. We can sing wonderful hymns and we can pray beautiful prayers and we can read insightful books and even hear sermons like this. But until church, we act, it is all words. Until we do things like you're doing, you're there, you're, you're doing some of this, switching up our whole summer and worshiping with a church that is entirely different, until we do things like this a lot, all the time, it's all words. And so our Lord Jesus gives us an example. He acts, he engages with the woman at the well. But he doesn't only do that. He sets, the, he sets aside the question of identity to get to the most important piece, the living water. What about this living water? The scripture says, Jesus answered her, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus was offering something far better than the water from the well. In this part of the text, Jesus is making himself known to the Samaritan woman, just as he makes himself known to us. And just as with Nicodemus, Jesus gets into this back and forth about the literal meaning of his words. With Nicodemus, it was about being born again. In John 3, verse 4, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And we see, the, we see the Samaritan woman sort of do the same thing. She took Jesus' word about the living water literally. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw the well. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How are you going to get me that water? You don't have anything. Where, where can you get this living water? And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She couldn't believe what she could not see, right? She can't see the living water. All she sees is this well. 
And what are the things she couldn't see? Well, why was this Jewish man talking to me? And what about this water? Jesus was at the well with nothing to get water with. And who is this man who claims to be able to do things better than Jacob? Is Jesus claiming to be better than Jacob? There are so many things she cannot see. What do we do in the presence of God? Because face it, sometimes we cannot see what God is doing in our lives, right? We stand at the gateway, something wonderful, some can happen, but we can't see it. And so we don't quite cross that threshold. We are too afraid or we simply don't believe. And we say to ourselves, we say to our God, God, if you would just give me a sneak peek about what is on the other side, I'm going to cross that threshold. God, if you would just give me that bonus that I've been waiting for, I will just give more and be more generous. If you would just give me that child that I've been praying for, I will just be more faithful about my Bible study. If you just give me a preview, God, just a little preview, because I can't see. And so at this point in the text, the Samaritan woman, she can't see. We see Jesus break down the barrier of identity by just talking to the Samaritan woman. But she still is stuck in the place of identity. Who is he in relation to Jacob? That's what she's, who is he? Are you greater? Are you actually saying you're greater than Jacob? She's still putting the resume together. You know, we do that too. But the Lord is offering a different kind of water. It is the life-giving water. It is the water that provides a presence of God which produces continual refreshing. That is what Jesus is offering to this woman who had five husbands and was living with a six, and who was a Samaritan. That's what Jesus was offering. The text says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to the eternal life. You see, Jesus was talking about something the Samaritan woman could not see, something she could not touch. The only thing that woman could see was her thirst, but I believe it was her thirst for truth. She goes back and forth with Jesus about who he is. Then she even goes back and forth with him about the husbands. In verse 16, it says, He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And despite this back and forth, despite the fact that she's doing the resume, who are you? Jesus is still talking to her. He is still showing her the way. 
He is still trying to minister to her. He is making himself known to this woman, to the outcasts. What stops us from making ourselves known to the other? What stops us from making ourselves known to the prisoner, to the homeless person we walk by on the street, to that young African-American kid we see that we don't talk to, to the parent of the Asian-American student that we see in our child's class, what stops us from making ourselves known to them? To the single mom, to the divorced dad, to the janitor at your building, to the bus driver who takes you to work every day, to the grocery store clerk that actually takes your money, what stops us from making ourselves known? Sometimes it is nothing more than our preconceived notions about the other. But Jesus doesn't stop for any of that. He continues to make himself known to this woman at the well. Don't you think we should learn something from that church? But wait, there's more. Because you know with Jesus, there's always more. Finally, after all the back and forth, the conversation arrives at the subject of the Messiah, right? After all is said and done, we now think the woman might actually understand her thirst and finally understand her need. And she gets to the point of the Messiah and talks about worship. The Samaritan woman starts to see and starts to understand it is through worship that we receive the living water. Once she starts to see, once she starts to understand, she knows the living water is all about worship. The Samaritan woman finally takes off her layers of sin, takes off her layers of ignorance, takes off her own identity, and starts to see Jesus for who he is. And she goes straight to worship. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and in his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In this passage, we see that the living water is not about what culture you come from. It's not about the rituals that you perform. 
It's not even about the people you surround yourself with. Instead, it's an inward, personal relationship with the living God. The living waters, the continual source of life that is indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each and every one who believes. When you drink from this water, the water of the living God, you'll never thirst. The text says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. When you worship in spirit and truth, it is not about worshiping on a mountain. It is not about worshiping as a Jew or a Samaritan or an African-American or a white person, Asian-American person, a Southern person, a Northern person, a Republican, a Democrat, a Red Sox, or a Yankees fan. It's not about that. Religiosity views worship in terms of ceremonies and rituals. Jesus says worship is simply about spirit and truth. And as you know from Pastor Joseph and your series on worship, God is spirit. You must worship God spiritually through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because God is truth, you worship according to what God has revealed through his word and through Christ. That's it. Our worship is about that. When the disciples return and see Jesus ministering to this woman, they behave much like the church is these days. A little confused, a little disjointed. I wonder if Jesus is I wonder if Jesus ministering to the Samaritan woman made the disciples ask themselves what was their understanding of Jesus? And that is the question for us, really. Is our understanding of Jesus bound up in our national hymns, myths, and religious structures? Is our understanding bound up by what our parents taught us, but not what Jesus taught us? Is it bound up in our suffering that sometimes causes us to block Christ out and to not trust him? to doubt him? Is our understanding of Jesus bound up by the people we surround ourselves with, by the paycheck we receive or do not receive, by the television, the people we see on TV, by our national leaders? Is our understanding of Jesus bound up in the stuff it should not be? Are and I'm going to end with this question, are, are we like the Samaritan woman? Coming alone, seeking, stripping off everything we have, unshackled from our biases, unshackled from our shame, getting down to who we really are, and coming to Christ to become a true worshiper. Church, we need to shed our identity. We need to enter a foreign land, and then we can drink the living water. So I ask you, church, 
Are you really ready to worship? Lord, just say a pray with, prayer with me as I close out my word for the morning. Lord, I just ask that you allow us all in our brokenness to come to you. Lord, we are all so bound up in all these things that we are taught we are to be. So many times they are not things of you, Christ, and they block us from worshiping with others. They block us from being what you've called us to be in unity and in love with others. We see in your text, Jesus doesn't do that. So we ask, Lord, that we just have your courage, Lord, not our own, to sometimes step out a little and do what Jesus did, talk to that person, make ourselves known to that person so that we can worship and share the love of Christ. We ask that we always remember that we only, only can worship you, Lord, through truth. We ask that we study your word, Lord, so that we continue to realize that we are one body in Christ under you, Lord. We ask these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.